Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. And welcome to the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here as always getting ready for the 2021 season that is underway. First episode of the year on this TC Live podcast. And we've got a great one to discuss the action currently in Abu Dhabi as well as Delray Beach. Our guest this week on the TC Live podcast is one of the most accomplished tennis players in America's great history. A former world number one for 58 weeks. This man won four Grand Slams, becoming the youngest male ever to reach all four major finals. He competed for the United States Davis Cup as a player and served as the head coach of the squad for eight years and has been a mainstay in tennis commentary for much of the 21st century. It's my pleasure to welcome to the TC Live podcast from the Tennis Channel family, Mr. Jim Courier. Jim, thanks for joining the show. Mitch, great to be with you. What took us so long to put this together? Uh, You know, I think it was... How long is my first time on your show? (laughs) I know. it's. uh, I think I'll, I'll... I'll, I'll own it. I dropped the ball a little bit, but you know, the move, we're, <laughs> we're in a new studio. We had to get the layout, the lay of the land, uh, which we're glad to be here. I know you've spent some time here in our new Santa Monica yeah. studio. And uh, actually, before we get into the tennis, I did want to bring this up. You know, you're an LA native. You're firmly entrenched out here, you know, coming from the East, coming from the, the New York, Florida, kind of the snowbird lifestyle. What's it like being mm-hmm. an official LA native now? Yeah, well, I moved mid-pandemic, so we moved the family uh, out to California from Orlando uh, in July, and it's been weird, you know, like everyone else, the experience is very weird, I think no matter where you are, but I have a lot of friends in LA, haven't gotten to see many of them, Uh, my wife has a bunch of friends and family out here, she's from Southern California, so it feels good in general, Um, you can't beat the weather out here, it's nice proximity-wise to to get the tennis channel, uh, to get to the studios, and also Honestly, to get to Australia, it's pretty. <laughs> it's, you know, it saves me a five-hour flight from uh, Orlando this time of the year. So it's it's a change. There's no doubt about it. But it's been good out here. It's nice to be in LA. Yeah, we're we're excited to have you out here. And uh, just like we were kind of alluding to before, having the new setup, really ready to attack this season. 2020 was, uh, you know, it goes without saying, a difficult year for many on a lot of surfaces outside of the tennis world. But, you know, we're always looking for silver linings, Jim. And one of the things I think we learned about the sport, you know, going forward and what 2020 proved is that, you know, the players and the calendar can adapt. I was thoroughly impressed with the organizers, the ability to schedule new events and kind of shift the schedule around to make it you know, safe and also make these players, give the players an opportunity to earn a living. We're starting to see that in the beginning of 2021 with the Aussie Open moving, some of the events in February slotting into January. I I have been impressed, as I'm sure you are, with the players' ability to adapt. Yeah, I think the players' ability to adapt, um, led by the organizations in charge of these events, adapting, um, not necessarily organizations that we've long thought of as being you know, quick and speedy and, and uh, entrepreneurial organizations like the FFT and the USTA and Tennis Australia have proved to be just that. They've been very uh, quick moving. They've had to be light on their feet because the, the government rules and regulations have been changing by the day. Um, and that's just a byproduct of, of the world we're all living in right now. And they just have had to 
try and, and stay light on their toes and, and uh, make the make the quick moves to make it work. And the players have, um, you know, after some education and learning, you know, certainly through the U.S. Open, Cincinnati double in the bubble, I think that was a, a big step for a lot of players to understand um, how they would need to be and, and how far these tournaments were going to go to protect them and the citizens in their area. So it's, um, you know, it's obviously something that we all want to put behind us as quickly as possible. And hopefully this year, uh, we will see a, a resumption of somewhat normalcy with full stadiums again towards the end of the year. I'm optimistic um, with the vaccine rollout. That's a possibility. But in the meantime, uh, we've seen some things that we thought were sacred, like, you know, schedules where, you know, Australian Open is never going to move from that date. And they've had to. And they've, they've shown that they can um, they can make those quick changes and, and roll with the punches. It's been pretty uh, I'd say it's been incredibly impressive. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we know that so much of sports, especially this one is, uh, about, is about routine is about, you know, the ingrained, you know, schedule that these players have had. It's, it's a grueling, uh, it's a grueling trip around the globe, but a lot of the events have been the same. And 2020, we saw a disruptor. We saw, you know, months of a shutdown, different events, exhibitions, and then breaks in the schedule that we don't normally have. How important do you think those adjustments have been, Jim, in terms of players having to, you know, tweak their schedule, not maybe getting the rest or getting more rest than they're used to and uh, having to adjust to playing tennis when they don't have that, you know, circadian rhythm, so to speak. Yeah, it's, I think it's been very difficult for the players. And talking to the ones that I've had access to, they, they found it difficult, the uncertainty more than anything, because they like a target. So when they know, hey, I'm going to get on a plane in four weeks and I'm going to have three weeks in a row of tournaments, then they can ramp up their training accordingly. When they don't really know and it's a moving target, it's harder. It seems like it's been pretty hard for motivation for a lot of these players. But they've they've now learned how things have moved and changed. And, and you can see in the, in the early weeks of the season here, some of the players are really anxious to get matches and get tur- a tournament under their belt because they just don't know what might get taken away from them the way that we saw, especially in the women's side last year, the, the entire Asian swing got canceled and there wasn't much for the WTA players to play uh, once we got past Roland Garros. So I think there's a real appreciation for the opportunities and and a real desire, especially from some of the younger players, to grasp those opportunities just in case they get taken away from them Again, I think it's been a real eye-opener, the things that, that players could take for granted. I think they certainly have been shaken away from that notion, and uh, there's probably much more of, a, of an appreciation for these opportunities that are in front of them. The appreciation for just an opportunity to take the court. I think a lot of people take things for granted in their life. We've seen you know, reinforce sure. the commitment to the sport, and like you said, a lot of fields that are seem pretty loaded because players want to get in when they can and play as many events as they can. I'm curious about this too, as someone that has been in the game so long, Jim. The season is always geared up. I mean, it goes till you know November for a lot of the elite players playing in the ATP Finals, and then you're already looking at January after an abbreviated off season to the start of the Australian Open. That's the, the target for everybody. I know it's been delayed, but in your experiences, both as a player, as someone commentating and, and doing some coaching as well, when does the offseason start in, in your mind? Was it, you know, as a player, right, you know, a week or so after you're already getting ready for next year? When is that commitment, that transition from, all right, 2020 or whatever the year is, is in the past, now we got to yeah. look ahead to this year? Well, I think generally speaking, if you're one of the, the quote-unquote tour players who has access to all the big events, but let's say you're not making the tour finals on the men's side, that, that pushes you into mid-November. And, and if you're going to play it in the Davis Cup 
final pushes you into uh, you know late November Thanksgiving week effectively. So you really have about four four to five weeks to if you're playing Davis Cup before you get on the plane and go to wherever you're going to start your year if it's a normal year. So for me in my playing days, I would typically take one week off and go on a vacation and then get back and get to work and try and come out of the blocks hot for the Australian Open and be ready to go. Some other players, uh, you know, maybe would take a little bit more time. Older players who maybe know a little bit more about their game and don't need to work on things as much other than their body. They could take someone like John Isner, for example, can take a few more weeks off and then just sort of slowly gear himself back up for what's to come. So it is case by case. But if you're not making, if you're not playing Davis Cup or you're not playing the Masters, Paris Bercy is your last one. So you're really looking at kind of seven to almost eight weeks of off season potentially. So you really can figure out how you want to spend it and, uh, you know, how do you get refreshed? And again, where are you in your cycle as a tennis player? If you're a young player, Mitch, you know, you probably need to do a lot of work on your game to make some gains and your body too. You need those weeks. Um, yeah. Or, you know, we had a player like, um, Sasha Zverev three, four years ago, he was in all those tournaments at the end of the year. He decided with his team not to play in Basel or Vienna, not to play in Paris because he wanted to get those extra weeks to make those physical gains that he wouldn't be able to make otherwise. So, you know, it just depends on where you are in the cycle. I think we need to use that answer in terms of just more appreciation for tennis players that you just gave, that there's maybe a week or so and then you're back to the grind. Yeah. can't really think of many yeah. sports where the offseason is so condensed where you know it might be yeah. seven, eight weeks, but like you said, you're having to put work in almost a week or two after the previous yeah, season. Yeah, golf, golf is kind of the only one that, that sort of mirrors that. And then I'm almost every player, myself included, has, has long been calling for a more organized offseason so players can refresh and maybe have more like 10 weeks off and let fans miss the sport a little bit more and pine for it. Um, and that has not been the case. And, and then the players got it this year in many cases, especially the women's side. And now they're jonesing to play, you know, yeah. so it's sort of be careful what you wish for in a way. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Jim Courier here on the TC Live podcast. We do have tennis before the Australian Open that is taking place now. There's tournaments this week for the men and the women before the players will travel from all over the globe to Australia for a two-week quarantine. We have the women in Abu Dhabi and the men in Delray Beach. The uh, women's events, 500 level. The men's is a 250. Jim, looking at this slate of tennis, which again, we're appreciative of how we can get it, it's players working on their game in the case of the women's tournament. It's a lot of top-level players doing that. What are some of the things you look for? Uh, maybe not necessarily results. I know all these players want to win, but certain things you think players might be working on and what you look for that might be good signs going forward to Australia and the rest of the season. Well, you look at someone like uh, Maria Sakri, who's having a, a fabulous week. She's oh, yeah. beaten some amazing players from Coco Golf to Mugu to, to Sonia Kennan today. Um, and, and she's been posting on social media about her working out and she's clearly very fit and focused and ready to go. And she's having a, a strong, strong week to continue. She's got Sabalenka 
in the semis. So, you know, she, she's got great form. That's going to put her in a great frame going into the Australian Open. I look for someone that's very much in development, like Coco Goff, who I'm so bullish on and, and just love everything that she brings to the sport and will continue to do so and see, has she been able to fill in some of the weaknesses that, that she knows she has? Has she been able to improve on the forehand side, make that more consistent as a second serve stabilized a bit. And so, you know, you look at the stats and her match against Sakari, she had some double faults and I didn't get a chance to watch it. Um, but, you know, when did they come? Those are the sort of things that I think we look for early in the season just to see the people make some course corrections in that off season, um, fill in some holes. I do want to mention Sakari, since you brought her up, t- taking the words out of my mouth, her last three wins to make the semis now as we record this uh, Coco Goff in straight sets, Muguruza and Kennan in three. Kennan today, uh, overnight I should say, lost the first set, two all in the second, won the last ten games. I mean, the results are coming, and it's not just you know power in, in terms of her game. Another name that I want to bring up, her opponent that she's playing in this semifinal is uh, Sabalenka, who has been a consistent yeah. top ten player now for a little bit. We've kind of been bullish on her, thought that this could be a, a next major winner there's been some uneven play at times but the last six months or so from the tail end of the pandemic going forward and even you know a year back she's proven that she could play it's not just power she had variety in her win against Rybakina she's another player that uh, I think is kind of flying under the radar which is funny to say for number 10 in the world yeah you, you make a lot of great points there she is a player that that people including myself have, have picked as, as definitely someone who has the tools to win a major I'm, I'm definitely in that camp she moves well. She's got a lot of power. Um, she's not afraid to, uh, to compete. There's a lot to like about Sabalenka. She's been a little uh, inconsistent. That's a good way to put it, uh, you know, with her performances and sort of her mental output in matches. And, but she's also now stabilized as far as she's been around enough now to have dealt with the pressure. She's gone through some ups and downs, kept her ranking intact, and she's on the cusp. She's a player that, that you could easily see lifting a major trophy this season if she can put it all together she has everything in, in place to do it that soccer match with, with Sabalenka in the semis that's a barn burger. I mean that that's going to be a great match you know you look at them on the other side of the draw you got a couple unseated players in Kostiuk and Kudermatova you feel like whoever wins that soccer Sabalenka match is likely going to win the trophy and that's a lot of points that's a 500 as you mentioned yeah, Sakari can move into the top 20 with a win in this tournament. Uh, and, and you mentioned, you know, being on the cusp. Sabalenka, Sakari are two of the premier names. Svitolina is another name she lost last night, but has been close, hasn't won that first major. Just based on your experiences, Jim, and, you know, having, you know, turned pro and it taking a couple years before you had the major breakthrough, literally and figuratively, what's it like to be on the cusp when you're in the mix, you haven't quite got over the hump? Is it, you know, certain elements of your game that, you know, you just feel like you have to fine tune? Is it, you know, a couple percentage points here or there just getting better on the margins? What's it like to... I guess since you've been there, be on the verge of that yeah. special breakthrough. Yeah, look, it's it's hard to to say that every experience is the same because they're definitely not. You're coming from different angles. So you know, Svitolina is a player who's been ranked very highly. She's been uh, you know very much in the public eye, and and she likes the attention and all that. So there, it seems to be nothing holding her back. Um, from winning one of these things. So you, you wonder, well, what is it? Are there doubts that are in there that, that she hasn't been able to put aside? That Does she need to, to go the way of someone like Iga Svantec and, and hire a, a sports psychologist if she hasn't already, and she may already have someone on board that can help her allow her game 
to flourish when the pressure is the most. That that's the biggest thing, Mitch. Um, that 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 I felt as a player when I was trying to win a major and felt like I was good enough to do it was how would I respond mentally to the pressure uh, in a major because you just don't know until you're there. And I found it very challenging. I found it very difficult. I was lucky to win my first major final. Um, you know, I, I was playing against someone who hadn't won one either. So, you know, uh, Andre Agassi was feeling the same types of pressures that I was. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard to say that everyone's experience is going to be the same. You know, there, there's a real benefit to being young and not knowing what you don't know <laughs> and getting older. For someone, let's say, take it back to someone like uh, Agoran Ivanisevic, you know, oh. who won one at the tail end of his career. Now, meaningful was for him, but it was also difficult for him because he's been he'd been so close. So, you know, that's the kind of thing where you start looking at someone like Sasha Zverev, who was a couple points away from winning the U.S. Open, and you go, how is he going to respond the next time he gets to a, a major final? And that's that's going to be fascinating to see. We just don't know. Yeah, if you win that first one, you don't really have that heartbreak and and in the final right. and it is kind of bliss to not know what uh, what that feels no, no like. scar tissue <laughs> no yeah, scar exactly. tissue at all well last year just want to wrap this up on the women uh sophia kennan did go all the way winning her you know major final her first major final getting the australian open had a phenomenal year uh, we we talk a lot about players men and women who win that first major and how your life changes it could be hard to reset even the all-time greats you look at roger and rafa they didn't necessarily just keep ascending right off the gate she had a good year, made the had a great year by her standards, of course, made the final at Roland Garros. Yeah. And, you know, last night in the match against Sakari was the first time it looked like she was running out of gas, getting a little tired. But going mm-hmm. back into Australia as the defending champ and as someone firmly in the mix, it's got to be a pressure-filled situation, Jim, as good as she's played, that she's ex- almost expected to win now. She's not taking anybody by surprise. I've been really impressed right. with how her mental and how her uh, you know her groundedness was she's not you know doesn't seem to be driven by an ego or anything but it's a lot different from being the the hunted now and not the hunter yeah there's no doubt about that i mean let's let's first of all say that abu dhabi has been a very good week for her from my perspective i don't know how she'll feel having lost the last 10 games against sakri she may have a bitter taste but she got four matches and so she she's now match tough Going into the quarantine, she'll have a couple of weeks of practice and then presumably play another event and be kind of in momentum. But she's already sort of put the offseason behind her. Not all of her peers who will be going into the quarantine will, will be able to say that, who are also thinking of themselves as favorites for the title. So, I mean, there is some, a lot of value to getting some matches in early in the season, and, and Kennan has done that. So she's shaken off that match play rust. We'll be ready to go. One other thing I would point out, that should make things easier for, for her than other players who have come to defend a major title for the first time is while she's defending the title, she's not defending the ranking points because yeah. of the way that the ranking system is. She'll keep all of those points until the 2022 Australian Open. And that that's big. I mean, I, I can speak to my own experience of feeling the pressure of my ranking, my, my drop from you know, two in the world, or, or I think I may have even one in the world at the time, but I may have lost the number one ranking if I wasn't able to go deep at Roland Garros the first time I came back to defend it. And that, that weighed on my mind a little bit, and I was able to overcome it, and maybe she would be able to do it too. She's so mentally tough, but it is something that she won't have to worry about. It's all about trying to win another one, I would think. That's how you would hope that her dad and coach were positioning it, you know, from yeah. from that standpoint. That's, but, a, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, it's exactly true that 
players might be thinking in other years, not only is this about defending a major, winning another one, but also what my seating might be next week at the next tournament mm-hmm. and what, you know, draws you might get. I, I did just want your yep. quick opinion on this too. I, I love watching her play because when she's kind of mad, a little mad at herself, almost looks like to the outside that she might be just stomping around the court. She actually raises her level, which I don't think you could oh, say yeah. about many players when they're kind of acting out like that. No, that's right. I mean, she's got probably my favorite walk in tennis, her purposeful <laughs> stride. Like, yeah. I mean, she's so peppy and, and just so energetic and determined. And, and I think that determination really does accelerate, if you will, when she's on edge. And, and I think she is one of those players who actually can use that, that the negative emotion for positive good. Most players, as you rightfully point out, they can't do it. It sends them in a spiral. More with Jim Courier on the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. The uh, men's tournament going on right now, the Delray Beach Open, normally in February. It shifted the schedule to January, a 250 ATP event. And uh, Jim, a lot of Americans in the field, which is no surprise, which also proves to be a big opportunity for some players that might not get the pub and might not get the opportunity to contend for a title as, as someone of yourself that's you know been involved in American tennis and seen a lot of these players from uh, their infancy on the pro game. Got to be pretty impressed with uh, what we've seen and uh, taking advantage in some cases of this opportunity right out of the gate. Well, big time. I mean, first of all, let, let's start with Christian Harrison, oh, yeah. you know, a player who has is, is long had major injury problems and have really stunted his ability to, to perform. Uh, you know, a very talented uh, tennis player, not a young man anymore. He comes to qualifying, and now he's out into the semifinals. He took out the number one seed, Garin, um, took out Mauger today, who had beaten Sam Querrey, uh, so he, and he's going to get Hubert Hurkacz in the semis. I mean, that's, that's a wonderful week for Christian. Hopefully he can keep it going. And then you got another young player, well, he, a, a, another young American, Sebastian Corda, yeah. who uh, you know we saw go so so deep in, in Roland Garros last year, fourth round, and he takes out Tommy Paul. He's got Isner tonight um, as we're recording mm-hmm. this right now. So you know that's exciting to see him, um, you know, making some progress. And Tiafo is also out into the quarterfinals. Uh, you know, I'm looking to play any minute here. I think against Cam Nori. Yeah, I do want to mention Christian Harrison because that's the first point I was going to make as well. It, it's listed as about eight surgeries in his career, five in the last <laughs> couple of years. And we're not talking mini surgeries. We're talking hips, abductors, femur even in there, which is pretty gnarly. Uh, he wins, yeah. you know, he beats Garin in the top seed. And the quote that he had was just perfect. He just said, I love the sport. I love what I'm doing. I just can't wait to keep playing and hopefully have a good, healthy next couple of years. When you hear something yeah. like that, I think, it, it puts everything into perspective, right? Like we might argue about trivial stuff on and off the court, but he's just looking and happy for an opportunity to play. Yeah. Look there, there's no doubt about it. Um, he, he's been hard done by his body over the years and it will be awesome to see him get a clean bill of health and, and have a run of, you know, another seven, eight years. Cause, cause realistically we are seeing players hit their apex quite often now at the age of 30 or a little older than that. And we see them get their career high rankings. So, and keep going until they're 35 or so, or, you know, obviously in, in someone like Evo Karlovich's case until they're 41, still, still going <laughs> yeah, strong. Still so there's going. Run, there's run. Yeah. There's still runway for Christian Harris. And a, a lot of players would have packed it in by now and gone on to another job. But, but Christian has, has stayed with it. And now he's getting that benefit this week. That's going to really boost his ranking. That's got, that's going to be a, a nice jump for him. You also mentioned Sebastian Corda at 20 years old. It's really only a matter of time before he not only breaks into the top 100 and continues to ascend 
He had the win over Isner at Roland Garros last year. Looks to continue that today as we record. It's been uh, an eventful year for him. There's a lot of buzz, deservedly so, around him. He's also been working with, as you know, Andre Agassi. So there is, uh, you know, a lot of excitement around this kid and the fact that he's getting that tutelage from such a Hall of Fame talent as well. I think there's definitely a reason why we're bringing his name up and why everybody seems to be excited to watch him play. He's got a fun game. He's super young, and uh, the best is certainly yet to come for him. Yeah, there's no question about that. He's going to break the top 100 really soon. It looks like he's on the verge already. Let's start with both of his parents, former professionals at the very high level. His mom was ranked as high as, I think, 25 in the world. His dad a top 10 or a major champ. So he comes from phenomenal DNA. And he's got a really nice head on his shoulders. Uh, his dad has done a, a terrific job coaching him. They have Dean Goldfine, who is a veteran coach, who's extremely level-headed and respected. He's been out doing the day-to-day work on the road with Sebi. That's been wonderful. And then you bring in someone like Andre as a mentor. On top of all of that, you, you're really putting together a nice package for someone who is a, a very imposing athlete. You know, Sebi's he's a big kid. Mm-hmm. He's strong. He's got verdict like legs. I mean, they're they're massive. I mean, he's got easy power, uh, good technique. You know, the it's it's all upside for him. It, I certainly expect him if he stays healthy, be pretty surprised if he's not ranked around fifty in the world by the end of the season. Notwithstanding the, the challenges of moving in the current ranking system with the two years, yeah. but he he's just that good, and he's beating good players uh, along the way. We'll see if uh, if he can take Isner out again tonight in Del Rey, but uh, a wonderful start to the season for him, and, and uh, away he goes. Has he mastered that quarter kick, though? That's what I'm wondering at this point. <laughs> he has. I've, no, didn't I know, I've, didn't I've you see seen the picture it. of that when he won the Australian yeah. Open Juniors? He, he did that? I think he's got it. Yeah, that was like, I mean, he's pretty much there for, that was about 95% there for doing it the first time for a main stage. Yeah, he's 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 got a good head on his shoulders and definitely someone that uh, a lot of players want to be around. Uh, and, and Jim, as we yeah, look forward yeah. to uh, to the rest of as we look forward to the rest of what the fields were going to look like in Australia, the, the quarantine process that's about to get underway. There's a lot of players, specifically on the men's side, with just the 250 tournament um, going on. Players on the men's and women's games that aren't going to have that match play, that preseason tune-up, so to speak. There are events that week before in Australia, respectively. But we're talking about a solid month of January where a lot of players aren't going to have match results to uh, base their game on and work on some stuff. How do you think that's going to affect preparation, fitness level, and just possibly results in Australia? You know, it's a great question because we've never really seen this before. We haven't been presented with this issue before where the players uh you know are going to be stuck for two weeks without tournaments and then kind of have to get going real quickly uh we'll see there there's some players who will probably feel fine without matches and then there are other players think of players who drive themselves on doubt someone like rafael nadal maybe a little bit more uptight about it because he's so routine focused so it's just hard to say i don't think it's gonna prevent rafa from being who he is which is amazing on the court i think he'll still have a wonderful wonderful summer down in australia if he can stay healthy which hopefully he will but it's you know we're we're going into the unknown we're going to all find out together who's affected if are we going to see more upsets in the first week of the australian open than usual wouldn't surprise us, would it? I mean, but right. well, who knows at this point? Yeah, you know, one of the things I think the sports world has seen through all this uncertainty is uh, 
the importance of mental toughness and the importance of doing that work behind closed doors, uh, just making the most yeah. of it. So we'll see who's been putting the work in, finding a way, and uh, is <laughs> mentally right. tough. Uh, a couple more things, Jim, before I let you go here on the TC Life podcast with Jim Courier. Uh, 2021 on the men's side, it's been the question for, I don't know, maybe about a decade now, are we finally setting up for a breakthrough at that major level? We actually did see Dominic team, somebody outside of the big three, someone under the age of 30, win a major. Are we looking forward, if we do have hopefully all four majors this year, do you think it's setting up for a breakthrough for some of these younger guys, the Medvedevs, the Sitsipasas, the Zverevs, team again possibly to win major, win a major, maybe win a couple? I mean, I, I feel like... There's going to be. I don't think that that Djokovic and Nadal, and, and if, if we include Federer, if he's healthy enough, uh, I don't think that we're going to see them sweep all four of them uh, the way that we've been seeing most years in, in recent history until Team One. I don't think we're there as far as that goes. I think one one of these slams uh, at least will be won by you know, whether it's Team or Medvedev or Tsitsipas or Zverev or Rublev. You know, go down the list. There's a a lot of capable players who've been uh, been losing to the big guys along the way. So yeah, I, I think we're ripe for it. Uh, I don't think we're going to see the rankings change, particularly at the top. I still think it's going to be either Novak or Rafa at the end of the year at number one. But yeah, I could see a, a major or maybe even two going to some of the younger younger players. Well, I'd say Father Time's had its handful with these tennis guys. It's been a <laughs> yeah. battle. It's it's been a long fight, but you know there's a reason why he's undefeated and uh, eventually. Eventually, it'll happen. We started to see it break through team getting that U.S. Open, Jim. I'm just curious. Do you think we'll see, you know, a more sustained level, maybe a little looser version of Dominic team now that he's gotten that monkey off of his back? Or, you know, as we mentioned with Kenan, your life changes. The pressures might actually ramp up. What should we expect from team in 2021? I, I think he's going to have a great year. You know, team has always been professional since he's come onto the tour. He's been very focused, disciplined, a hard worker. He has a good group around him. Uh, with his squad of coaches and trainers. So I think he's set up for much more success. I think that he's really just getting going. Um, no, I think I would be very bullish on Dominic team in 2021. Yeah, I'm right with you there. I, I just think he has the mindset and he's somebody that it, he just wants to play. Like you almost can't keep yeah. him off the court. Uh, we worried about that at the beginning stages of his career, but uh, just loves, <laughs> the, game. <laughs> just loves the game. Uh, and, you know, we mentioned Roger. I, I just want to talk, I mean, since the last episode of this show with Federer, he is not playing the Australian Open. We're going to see where, when he'll come back at, at, pro, at appropriate health with his knee. 39 years old. I know he's been a physical freak for a lot of years, but you've gone on record as saying if Federer is healthy, He's going to be a difference maker this year, and and I believe you, but I do think it is a fair assessment to look at what his health is going to be because he's getting into that uncharted territory, pushing 40 years old on the pro tennis court. Yeah, I, I think his health is the whole enchilada, Mitch. I, I think his racket skills will, will remain intact. His understanding of strategy and, and tactics against players, that will remain his ability to hit shots under pressure. But all that should still be there at 39, if even if he hadn't had two knee surgeries in, in 2020, we'd still be you know using a fine tooth comb, watching him move, saying, "Is he finally slowing down?" Because, as you mentioned, Father Time is undefeated, and and everyone eventually starts to lose their feet. It's just nature. Um, is it happening to him? We, we we would be watching that now. It's going to be even more so exaggerated that we'll watch it because of the knee surgeries and because he hasn't been able to, to play since last year's Australian Open. So when he does come back, um, hopefully that will be in Rotterdam or, or Dubai. We'll get a chance to see him play on some hard courts. We'll get hopefully a, 
uh, you know, some matches for, that he'll get going and we'll have a, enough of a body of work to compare it to. But, uh, you know, I, I could certainly see him being a, a big factor at Wimbledon it, again if he's if he has, you know, 90% of, of the movement he had before he left the tour last year. Yeah, the movement's huge, but we know 90% of Federer with his mental abilities and his uh, determination, it's going to be a handful. Uh, we just want to see yeah. him back onto the court. And uh, lastly, Jim, thanks again for coming on this podcast. It's been a blast. Uh, this AO bubble that we're getting ready for, an interesting setup. The players are going to all fly from around the globe. Then they're going to quarantine for two weeks. They're going to be able to train, but it's a two-week quarantine in a bubble. There's going to be that event a week before the ATP Cup for the, man, for the men, a WTA 500 event in Melbourne for the women. But it is going to be a unique circumstance. What do you think about the prospects of kind of the Australian Open mimicking what the U.S. Open did with the bubble, how the players are going to react, and you know the unfortunate reality of uh, two weeks with no tennis. Yeah, look, I, I think the players have they've long appreciated what Craig Tiley and Tennis Australia have done for them. That tournament is phenomenal, and they've they've been real leaders as far as um, facilities for the players, um, prize money levels for the players based on the amount of income that Tennis Australia makes relative to the other slams, which is usually quite a bit less. So they have a they go in with a good feeling about Australia, which is good because the, the two-week quarantine will be a challenge for the players. It's not something that they've faced before, even though they're able to get out for five hours a day. You know, Being able to, to get out and do that will be good for their mental and physical health, but they'll be 19 hours a day, which some of that they'll be sleeping, but they'll be stuck in their room and they won't be able to come out. People in the world um, have it far tougher than these tennis players. I don't want to, uh, you know, over exaggerate the, the challenge. This staying in a nice hotel where you can get room service is a luxury, um, but it's just different. That's what I think I, we should point out. The players are used to being able to go freely for the most part. That's obviously been curtailed since this pandemic hit, and uh, and they've gotten used to some of those limitations. But this is going to be even a higher level. You know, they're the people in the bubble, myself included. We're going to be looked after by the Victorian Justice Department. Those are the people that run the prisons. You know, this is where they're not joking around. No. You know, they have no cases in Victoria, and they're going to make sure as much as they can that the tennis world is not responsible for bringing new cases into the country and infecting their population. So, you know, it's a it's very serious business. Everyone needs to understand that. Uh, and, and everyone does understand the sacrifices that Tennis Australia is taking to make these events possible for these players and for tennis fans around the world. I mean, all of us, I think should have a lot of gratitude for the players being willing to do this for tennis Australia doing what they're doing and make no mistake. It's not going to be normal. Um, but make no mistake. Uh, the tennis world is not a normal world. It's a world, um, where things are a lot easier than most other worlds. And we just have to be mindful of how lucky that we all are to be in the tennis bubble because it's not real life and it's um you know all these sacrifices are are really really minuscule in the big scheme of things it's been a great commitment by tennis uh, australia to put this together players are sacrificing uh, as you said uh, but it just shows you what what's at stake how much we all collectively in the tennis world want to see this australian open and are willing to put it together yeah. so props again to tennis australia and the players for making these commitments and then lastly jim i mean you're going to be going down there so safe travels for you and uh 
you know, this has been, you know, coming up on a couple decades now of you making this trip almost every year. So my last question is, uh, what's the best way to pass the time on a flight that long since you've got to be a pro at it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mitch, I've been going basically since 1990 uh, down to Australia for this time of the year. Uh, it's a long flight. It's a 15 hour flight. Fortunately, usually that flight leaves late and you get to sleep a fair bit. And, you know, reading is always a good way to, to pass the time. Um, they have lots of movies and shows these days on the planes. It's, it's actually a pretty easy flight the way down. Uh, it's actually a little harder on the way back because you fly more in the daytime, so you don't sleep quite as, quite as often. But the flight that I've been designated to fly on uh, leaves on Wednesday the 13th, and it's leaving at an odd time. It's leaving at 4.30 in the afternoon. We're going to arrive around 2.30 in the morning uh, in Melbourne. I presume they're doing that so they can kind of keep us away from the general public mm. and kind of get us kind of sort of to our, our quarantine hotel without uh, really disturbing anyone. So uh, it's going to be different. It's going to be weird, but it's a new adventure, and I'm up for it, and I can't wait to kind of get uh, get down there get through the quarantine and then kind of get going with the, the tennis events. Cause that's obviously the reason we're going is to see the best players in the world do what they do best. And I can't wait for that Mitch. We definitely can't wait for it. Jim Courier on the TC live podcast. Thanks for coming on, taking time out of your day to do this, uh, breaking the seal now an official guest. So I can, you know, ask <laughs> you to come on again directly. So just be prepared for that. All right, Mitch. I look forward to it. Thanks and uh, happy new year. Look forward to hearing more of your podcast. Bye for now. Thank you. That was Jim Courier on the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. A reminder, you can catch every episode on our website with the entire catalog of episodes dating back to last year. More from the TC Live podcast at the end of this week and beyond. We got the semifinals from Abu Dhabi as well as the Delray Beach Open semifinals. That will conclude on Wednesday. For Jim Courier, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. <laughs>